so welcome everyone. This is episode number 11 of the Manufacturing Hub. Uh, this month's theme is talent. So we're going to be talking with uh, different individuals about the topic of talent. Today, we've got Jordan Humphreys with us. And he's essentially a recruiting specialist who works with a lot of the automation people that we're all connected with, a lot of different companies. And so we wanted to explore the topic of talent with him as, as the expert in, uh, in this domain. And so, Jordan, if you could introduce yourself a little bit, talk about you know yourself, but also the company that you're currently have founded and are working for. What do you do? How do people... Uh, maybe reach out to you as well. Uh, what kind of services do you offer both, you know, for, um, uh, you know, corporate recruiters or corporations in general and for individuals? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, thanks you guys for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Uh, love what you guys have done so far. And, and hopefully I can add some value here on the talent side. Um, so introduction, uh, 2015, I started in recruiting. Um Nobody gets into recruiting on purpose. It's kind of the joke us recruiters have. Um, we all kind of fall into it one way or another. Uh, I had always enjoyed working with people, had an opportunity to join a team that was being built here in Indianapolis. Uh, so I got in uh, what was called a sourcer position. So basically I'm just sourcing candidates for the recruiters, good fits for possible jobs. Um, that's where actually my first role that I was helping them was for a PLC engineer uh, at an airport here in Indianapolis. And I remember, you know, sitting down with the recruiter and I said, you know, you're going to look for PLC guys. I looked at it and said, what's a PLC? And he kind of had that thought. He looked in his eyes like, oh boy, here we go. So it was, uh, was kind of my introduction. Um, and uh, it didn't take long. And I knew I wanted to be a recruiter, wanted to be in this. Uh, work my way up. And so I, in that process, found a couple of different job avenues, trying to find my uh, niche, so to speak. Um, was in healthcare, did a little bit in life sciences, um, but then, and, and then I did a little bit in technology, which led me to, in 2018, uh, joined a practice that was trying to grow their automation and controls uh, side. So I had said, you know, I had done a little bit of that before, um, know my way around a few of those conversations. So we came to an agreement that that's what we were going to try and do. Um, and that's where it really took off for me. Um, one of the big things was as a recruiter, normally you have job boards that will aid you, Dice, Career Builder, uh, Monster, you name it. Um, but at this one, I only had LinkedIn. So at that point, I didn't have LinkedIn, but maybe a couple of hundred connections, didn't really use it all that much, didn't really know. Um, so at that point, it was like, hey, I got to jump in and, and, and get good at this. Um, so I knew a little bit about LinkedIn, knew I needed to, to build kind of a community, um, a network, so to speak. I had seen recruiters on LinkedIn before. Um, and, and always, you know, being in sales, the thing that's pounded into your head is don't be like everybody else. Don't sound like everybody else. So I looked at the approach that was going on in LinkedIn and how recruiters were using it. I looked at other people um, and how they were using it and being successful, uh, whether it was business to business, corp to corp, um, selling to retail. So I tried to mash those in together and build uh, a network that not only was I using it for recruiting, but I was using it for the community of automation and controls. Uh, I really liked getting back into it, wanted to sink my teeth into it, meet some people, build some relationships, uh, conversations. So I was forced into uh, LinkedIn and getting as much of it as I could out of it. Um, and it has been, that's been the, the, the big game changer for me. Um, I don't know if my, my internet connection may have cut out. Can you guys hear me? We've yes. heard you well. Uh, I think your image cut out a little bit, but okay. um, it froze, but while well, the voice came through, no problem. All right, there. Great. And so, so fast forward, yeah. fast forwarding to um, today, um, I think there's a lot of really interesting movements in the manufacturing automation space specifically. I was curious to um, maybe get your opinion on what you're seeing uh, when it comes to the current talent pool and maybe expand about 
Um, you know, again, like some of the numbers that I've heard is that manufacturing is projected to grow like 30% this year. Um, I don't know if you have any other, like maybe statistics, metrics, uh, what are employers kind of looking to hire uh, when, it, when it comes to like the demand curve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, automation as a whole is really uh, burgeoning right now. Um, I've seen it. I'm trying to think of any industry now. ONG is, is its own kind of um, animal, if you will. Um, they've got some regulatory and COVID has, has, has hurt them. Um, and so they're still trying to find their way back. But that's, that's, a, that's an up and down industry anyways. Um, but all other industries are, are really trying to squeeze automation and the potential of it now. Um, before COVID, automation was talked about. Was, was being used as a tool. Um, the problems were really selling it to C-suites, uh, what the ROI was, getting them to buy in. But now with COVID, it has really pushed the digital transformation um, as far as you know, sending employees home that, that didn't need to be there. Um, what do we do now? Uh, remote work has pushed a lot. We used to have a non-remote workforce. Everybody was in the office. Well, now you know that we've been out for a year. Some we're losing. Uh, yeah, we're losing Jordan, just a little bit, I guess. That's interesting. It's like the image freezes and then catches up at some point. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. I think you're back. I think I'm back now. Yeah. So. Yeah, automation is, is booming. Am I, can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay. So automation is, is booming. Um, it seems like a lot of people that had corporations that had money to spend on CapEx were holding on to it. Um, and now that we're starting to come out of the fog, return to normal, whatever you want to you use uh, as far as COVID goes, it's, it's, it's on. We've got this money. We need to spend it. We've seen ways that we can improve our efficiency, lower our costs, be more <clears throat> said efficient. But um, let's look at remote workspaces, having people uh, being more digital presence. Uh, it's really pushed things forward. So you're seeing it. I, I've seen on all fronts. People are looking at CapEx, um, legacy retrofits, whatever they can do in, in automation. Um, we're really pushing pushing the bounds, starting to. Um, are, are you seeing ahead. like a specific segment of jobs? And I guess what I mean by that is, uh, you know, like engineering level roles, technician level roles that are still, you know, cause there's, there's a nuance, right? If you have to be at the plan versus you can make them a little bit more remote, uh, maybe more management, like MES type of roles. Like what are you like, or are you seeing just the entire market being, uh, growing, like, I guess, equally, or is there maybe more demand for certain skill sets than others? Yeah, it's growing equally, um, all the way down technician level operators, um, but even to the engineer controls, engineers, automation engineers, um, MES is going crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there really isn't anything that isn't moving right now. Like I said, anything automation, uh, we want to know about it. What kind of experience do you have and what can you bring to the table for our automation presence, whether that is an end user or an, a system integrator? Um, and going back to what you were talking about as far as being on a plant, um, it, you know, plant jobs are still there and you're still going to need to be at the plant for some things. Now, whether we're instituting more uh, technologies with alarms. Um, we can have somebody remotely operating it. And then if the alarm comes on and we need you at the plant, you know, we can move to things like that. Um, so if we can make it remote, if we can be flexible, we're looking at that. Some things aren't just yet, um, but there's a lot of that going on. And as you see this growth, right, um, I'm assuming it's going to be continuing for a foreseeable future. Um, and my initial kind of thought is that employers will run into, um, I guess, hit a wall, a metaphorical wall that will kind of stop them from getting the talent they need, um, either on the floor or in the offices. And so what kind of challenges do you see them like face? And I guess how can 
um, I would say like a lot of our listeners are looking to maybe change themselves in a way so that they can adapt for those for those changes. Like how can they also like maybe adapt themselves in terms of like skills, in terms of like different flexibilities? Like what do you see um, changing in, in that sense? I got the first and last part. Can you give okay. me the middle part again? I cut out on my end. Sorry. Well, so I'm curious, I guess, how the employers are going to adapt to uh, hitting a metaphorical wall at a certain point in time, right? How are they going to like, or what kind of challenges, first of all, they're going to face and how they're going to change themselves, but also how can individuals kind of looking into the future two, three years ahead, prepare themselves for what's going to happen in the market. And obviously, I think it's just hypothesis at this point, but I'm I'm curious, like what you're seeing, um, like what kind of shifts are you seeing in that sense? Are you talking more flexibility as far as remote work goes forward or just hiring overall? Um, well, let's, let's start with like the, um, the company side, right? So companies are slowly running out of people that they can hire, right? Like that's kind of the assumption of a, of a growth rate. Um, yeah. Like what are they going to have to change? You know, if there's a manufacturing plant, whether it is like in Canada, Indiana, Florida, uh, Quebec, whatever. Um, and as they bring in this automation they bring in robotics they bring in packaging cells they bring in like new production lines and they just can't hire enough people to uh, maintain or support those initiatives like what are they going to do yeah great great question glad you brought that up um and that is kind of what i've observed is plans like that we're upgrading new automation lines robotics new plcs hardware software whatever um they all look at implementations, phases, who's going to do it, how much it's going to cost. And they, whoever the decision maker says, okay, let's do it. And then all of that is done. And at the end we're, we've delivered the system. And if we're an integrator, we're, we're going to go away now. Maybe we come back for service, you know, or something, but you're going to have to have in-house talent working your automation products. And that's the last thing that is thought about in this process as I have seen through manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all the hard decision of who's going to work on it, number crunching, can we afford it, the budget, months of, of meetings, and then, okay, let's do it. But it's never, because it's always kind of talked about the talent at the end. It's like, oh, well, we need people to run this. Okay, we'll tell HR, let's create a few job descriptions, and we'll hire somebody. Yeah, right. that does not work, um, especially with automation right now. Um, just as you said, you know, to kind of make it easy uh, for the listeners and anybody that's out there, let's just make it the number simple. Let's say there's 50 controls and automation people in the United States, and there's a hundred companies with a hundred openings. Now those 50 people are going to be hired in a couple of weeks, a month, whatever, but then you're going to have 50 companies with 50 openings and nobody to hire. What are you going to do then? Because you can't take all that equipment back. You, there's no refund right? You're not going to go back that way. You've got to find somebody. So we're going to go out and we're going to recruit somebody that can. We lost Jordan again. I think he might do this on purpose. He's like, I'm about to say something really good. And then I'm just going to meme my way through it and hope that I sound smart. Can you hear me now? We, we've got you back. So okay. you, you're about to make a really good point about how, you, you know, what happens. You cannot return equipment and software. Yeah. So you, you got to have somebody working that. Um, and so if there's no automation or, or controls engineers, what's the next level? What are we going to do? Do we go with someone that's an electrician and wants to get into controls? Um do we go for our machine operators? Anybody that shows inclination to wanting to learn this stuff? What do we do? Um, so I've seen a couple of companies that have been forward thinking and have started and, and seen that and, and are training their own people, uh, bringing in entry level people and really training them up their way, how they do approach projects, their way of working it. Um, and I think that's the best thing to do right now because we're not going to be able to replace the workforce that's retiring now and into 10 years, um, the baby boomer generation. And there's not enough people going through college and associate technical degrees uh, with experience. Um, so, so when the cupboard's bare, what's the next best thing? 
And that's what a lot of people are, you know, need to ask themselves and look downstream five, 10 years and say, what, what is this? What, how are we going to fix this? Um, that's, that's, that's a big thing for this, for this industry because the, the talent is limited. Um, yeah. And as automation grows and the demand grows, there's only, there's only a, a finite amount of resources. And it's a big challenge, right? Because it's a, it's like a catch 22 or a, a prisoner's dilemma, so to speak, right? Because if there's going to be a company that invests money into bringing all these people up to speed, then in a sense, you don't have to, because then you can just hire those people once they've, you know, been educated, whether it is through the company or through a college, whatever, uh, versus, um, you know, if you spend your own money, then it becomes really difficult for you to retain those people who are now getting the offers uh, from other employers. And I think that too is like a, an important topic to discuss, especially in this, uh, in this current environment, because what companies are doing, like you said, they, they can probably take someone who's inclined or is at least like interested in controls automation, bring them up to speed, which can take sometimes from my experience, like a few years. Right. And so two years down the road, uh, you've invested all this money into an individual and they're starting to get offers through LinkedIn uh, from different employers. And so that too, I think is a, maybe an important discussion. I don't know if you um, talk, you probably talk to your customers about this, but how do you retain uh, people once you have hired them, I guess. And yeah. I, I would yeah. be curious to hear like what your thoughts are like on, on that standpoint, how can they change so that they can retain people better? Yeah. Excellent point. Again, great job on the questions to lad. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so now I'm going to bring in people that I'm going to train and I'm going to invest my own money and bring them up. And, you know, whether it's a year, couple of years, they're now, you know, an experience, we'll use that word loosely, but they're recruitable engineering talent. Um, so somebody's going to call and, and try to poach your guys. So yes, you want to be proactive. If you're bring people in and train them up, you've got to have a program that's designed to retain um, and that's the hard part is because human beings are not they're they're variable they're always their equations always change, right um, their needs their wants what happened in this day what's happening in family we have briefly lost jordan and while we're waiting to get Jordan back, I, I will make the comment of one of the important things, you know, both to hire the best talent and to retain the best talent is to be an employer of choice. And I feel like we've kind of danced around that a little bit. And that is kind of the holistic view of what are we going to do to make sure that we bring the best people in? And part of that is going to be how do we how can we build a, a talent process, a hiring process in order to hire, you know, we want to be the people that can hire one of the 50 people in the market that has the skills that we need. But beyond just doing that, we also want to make sure that we've got people in the pipeline, either internally or externally, so that they can learn those skills, as both of you guys have talked about, you know, someone doesn't become a controls engineer specialist or an MES specialist or a machine specialist overnight. You can't sleep on a stack of books and, and learn it through osmosis. I, though I'm pretty sure I've tried that in the past and I can tell you from firsthand knowledge, it unfortunately does not work. You cannot be a, you don't get to learn that through osmosis. And so one of the important things is for a employer to be forward looking, make sure that they can hire talent that fits within their environment and make sure that they're training people. And if they're providing good training and continuing education opportunities, then they're going to also be able to provide a career path for those folks who want to continue to stay within the company. And maybe you start as a senior controls engineer. And at some point you want to be VP of engineering for the, the facility or for the zone or for the, the company. If you're not being provided with a career path to get you to where you want to go, as a controls engineer, you're going to leave to go somewhere else. Yeah, uh, yeah. I completely agree with that. Um, and I think we had this interesting comment also on uh, one of the previous episodes with um, Huck, right? Like where he talked about Grantex vision. And I think he mentioned a very critical point. And I'm curious, I guess, Jordan, you're, you must be facing this as well. But I think 
in many ways due to what we see in you know very glamorous companies like facebook google and what have you it almost seems like the prize is having that paid dinner or having like a foosball table at the recreation room where i really think that what people are looking for like dave said as a clear career path they're looking for some help right like or a mentor that has been in that position and is able to kind of aid them in t- in times of like difficulty right like as an engineer there's going to be always challenges so you always want that kind of mentor figure i feel in a company and it's very important for employers i feel to be as like employee focused as they are like customer focused right like and i think that's mm-hmm. the really important piece right it's not like i said the uh, the giveaways or the uh, the random events that are happening. It's really kind of a multitude of those initiatives. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. The, the ping pong tables and such, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, right? it's still being used. Like it's still sold. Like you could see it on, you know, job yeah. postings that well, we have a ping pong table. And like, right. I don't know if it's ironically sold uh, in job descriptions or... But Vlad, you hit it. You hit it on the head. Uh, that's what most people want is is an employer who's employee focused as well. Not only just customer focused, to get customer focused and to be able to voice and make money and pay you, but we're also on you. What what is it that you want? What is it that you are going to do? You desire to get out of your career, and how can we help you? Um, and you need companies need to be not not afraid of losing people if you're going to grow them. Sometimes people are going to outgrow your company for organic reasons, and you're not going to have the fit for them to go to their next step of their career, Mm -hmm. but another company will. Um, So always be encouraging. Employees love that stuff. If you, if they feel like you're, you have their best interests in mind, they will bend over backwards for you. So instead of the, 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 the pool tables and, and uh, cool offices, you know, uh, call me in for a 15 meeting, 15 minute meeting and just ask me how, how, how's it going? You know, how's your goals? How do you think it's going here? Show some interest in me. That will go so much further than, than a ping pong table at, at break time. Right. Yeah. It's surprising how rare those conversations are from my experience, at least like it's yeah. extremely rare. We had a question in uh, LinkedIn, David, I don't know if you saw it from uh, Bonita. It. it was a, it was a very good question. Let me, uh, let me get back to it from Bonita. She was saying, um, as someone looking for positions in automation as a beginner technician, is there a recommendation to avoid a company that's not thought that far in advance to avoid layoffs? Like, how do you know, how can you tell if the company is a good company and is a company of choice and is going to protect you for the long term versus they're going to bring you aboard, but as, as soon as there are bad times, you know, you're going to be the, the, the last one in is the first one out. Yeah. Well, sometimes a company is a company. It's an individual basis. You, you never know what you're signing on. Even if it's a reputable company that's been in for 100 years, you've got five friends that have worked there for 20, and they're like, this is the greatest place. Uh, okay, great. And you sign on. Well, you had a different experience, right? Um, but as far as, you know, with layoffs go, you know, you kind of look at some tea leaves as far as what industry are you getting in? Is it up and is it down? Uh, you know, like with automotive, sometimes there's dips and there's, there can be layoffs. Uh, we've seen what happened in ONG going up and down. Um, you know, food and beverage has been kind of COVID proof. There's, there's a lot of people that have done really well in, in, um, during COVID and food and beverage, uh, paper and pulp did really well. So, you really kind of want to look at your industry um, more than the company and see how, you know, you can always look at the company's history as well. Um, talk to people that have worked there. Those are usually the best things. Um, networking, talking with people. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you can only do so much research and then you've got to kind of have to make your educated opinion and guess on that. Um, yeah. I, and, I agree you know, with that. I think asking questions, asking the right questions, you know, um, Obviously, you don't always have the opportunity to talk to people, you know, within the company before you kind of interview and you have a very limited amount of time. Yep. But um, I feel if you, I guess, like one question I personally always ask is like, why are you hiring for this specific position, right? And if, if the answer is something along the lines of like the last three people left this position in like the last six months, then there's like at least like some like red flag that kind of 
yeah. tells me like there must be something that they're not fully disclosing to me, right? Uh, right. Whether it is because like we're expanding because of growth, we're looking right. to, you know, like establish a new team. Those are usually kind of the very positive answers. And of course they can, you know, yeah. to a certain extent, they can hide the uh, the information, but usually I, I, like people are honest and will tell you like what the reason for that is. Yeah. And to an- go further uh, in that question, to answer that, you know, don't be afraid of joining a company if they're you know, laying off and what that might do to your resume, because those things can be easily explained and understood mm-hmm. and accepted within the industry. We all know that there's ups and downs hiring managers, you know, in different industries. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's okay. The most important part I would say is to be working in automation and controls right now. Get that experience that you can show on a resume. Um, you know, nobody wants to work somewhere and then be laid off six months later, but that would be better to have that experience than nothing on your resume at all. Um, automation yeah, absolutely. is growing. And, and I think to your point, Jordan, I think people also understand that in many uh, aspects, it's not up to how to say this. It, it's not the decision of the technicians or engineers to let's say close down a facility, right? Like I've, I've seen plant closures and typically they're passed down because uh, somebody like way up high made the decision that this plant is not profitable or what have you. So I think everybody understands that it's not the, uh, the line technician who's been putting in, you know, 30 day shifts at a time and then getting like Absolutely. one weekend off because there's like no productivity that's responsible for the closure. Right. Yep. Like you said, I think it's easily explainable at least. Yes. No, perfect. And so we have a, a interesting question. Uh, that I can take us down a couple of routes from uh, from Muhammad. He wants to know if you or I suppose we think that the European Union, the U.S. and Canada have enough qualified people to fill all of the vacancies that they have. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking as far as uh, EU and Canada, um, not as qualified to answer that. Most of mine, all of mine is done here in the U.S. so far. Um, no, not, not at least for the U.S. Uh, we just don't have enough. Um, and that's, you know, to, to, to speak more on that, uh, you know, with, with automation booming right now and all the hiring, expanding going on, growing teams, all that. Uh, and we talked about this earlier. It's going to come to a time where, hey, there's just really not any other talent available. Yeah. Um, these guys aren't moving or, Hey, I found a group of guys, but they've all been recruited and moved to a new place within the last six months. Um, and it would take a lot of money to, uh, to get them to move. And so I, I guess kind of the, the follow-up question uh, to that becomes a question that I, I know I talk to a lot of people about, I get a lot of messages about of people looking to move into those countries. Um, so I, I guess in your experience, Jordan, have you found lots of or many sponsorship opportunities um, in the general automation sector to help people move into the U.S. Um, so that's a good question. Um, I could talk a lot about that. I'll try to condense it as much. Sponsorships and automation happen um, more so on like OPTs, which is a uh, couple of years that uh, let's say somebody from India came over here for their master's. Um, they're graduating with their master's. They have OPT for several years that they can work on as, as a contractor. Um, and then there's also the H1B was for more permanent. Uh, this is an employee we want to hold on to. Uh, we're going to go into the application process, uh, the lottery process to try and get their green card so they can stay with us, get residency here. Um, as far as that goes, an automation, I have not really seen a whole lot of H-1B opportunities. Um, and OPT, I've seen some, but they're, they're hard to come by. Uh, um, so I would say, you know, the U.S. can use your skills if you have the experience, if you can get in here. Um, and that's what I mean, you know, if you can get here, you can live here. Um, you can work here, obviously. Am I, can you hear me? Did I yes. lose you? You, okay. you kind of jumbled back. up. It's going to be some interesting audio that, uh, that Vlad gets on the yeah. back end of this. So yeah, basically if you can get in the U S, um, and, and live here and work here, I can work with you depending on your experience. But yeah, I mean, if you're in India, 
or another country, South Africa, um, South America, and you're asking, you know, hey, how do I get in here? I, I don't have a lot of opportunities for you, unfortunately. Um, the way that's more of a custom or an immigration issue, I think that we would have to go down and, and talk about that. Um, but when the talent is all used up, American talent, um, and we have people here that can work on OPT or H-1Bs, uh, I think we're going to need to look at that and opening up and becoming, you know, less restrictive there because we're going to need to use that talent here. Yeah, I would, I would agree with your statements, Jordan. Um, and I would say that especially on the integrator side, there are not many integrators that are large enough to go down the process of you know, dealing with all of those immigration. So I've dealt with a couple of specifically engineering companies who I won't name on here because I don't want them to get absolutely hammered um, with people. But uh, those companies have specifically have worked with generally engineers who have just finished their bachelor's or their master's degree and they were still in the U.S. And because they were still in the U.S., it was easier to kind of like swap over the visa from student visa to like H-1B or whatever that looks like as the process to go down on um, sponsorship. I, I don't know many people who have successfully without a lot of experience and a specific, a very in-demand specific skill set made the transition from uh, basically just about anywhere into working into the U.S. full-time without, again, a, a large amount of experience. Yeah. Yep, exactly. That has been I got another own. question in uh, LinkedIn that's interesting. So how, do, how easy is it to move industries in automation? And I guess like that's like before I leave it to you, um, I feel like that's a little pet peeve of mine as well. Like, you know, during interviews where, you know, my initial background was in medical devices and then I transitioned to food and bev. But even though I would talk to recruiters and they, for whatever reason, would be, you know, turned off if they're in a different industry than what I was in. And I feel as an engineer in primarily automation controls, I think it would be just as difficult for me or just as much of a learning curve for me to transfer to a completely different, let's say, food process than it would be for me to go to, let's say, oil and gas. Like For sure, there's nuances, and I, I understand that, but I feel that the learning curve isn't that big unless you're, again, becoming like a process engineer where you really need to understand you know, the intricacies of the process. What are your thoughts on that? And I guess, like, how easy is it to move between industries? Yeah, plenty of time. Uh, a lot of ONG to, to food and bath. Um, but, uh, but yeah, to your question, I think if you were talking to, uh, you know, the, the engineer, the automation or controls engineer, they'll say, yeah, I mean, I'm a little learning curve, but I can figure it out. I'm an engineer, right? Um, right. But I think once we get more to hiring managers, directors, um, they tend to... Uh, yeah, it's like, well, he's an ONG. How will he do in food and bev? I, I don't think that carries over. Or automotive to food and beverage, or food and beverage to, to, to whatever medical device, you name it, FDA. Um, and and I would have to. There, there's outliers, right? But in general, no. This guy knows he's an automation or controls guy. He knows his ones and zeros. He knows how to program. Sure, there might be some new stuff that we learn, but the ramp up time is not going to be that much and you're still going to have an automation and controls engineer that's going to be able to do the job for you. So you would say it's easy to transition or you, you, you think that it's going easier to be hard because of those gatekeepers? It should be easier than what it is. Okay. What I should say. Um, but yeah, in the real world, I haven't seen anybody that, uh, of course, had some good clients to work with that were open um, and said, yeah, I don't really mind. We can work with that. And they were open and they uh, benefited from that process because they, you know, they kind of, well, I don't know. And we, we did it and they're like, yeah, it worked out great seamlessly. And then I was able to go to that industry and get more from them uh, yeah. because there wasn't as many food and beverage. So, um, so yeah, I mean, transitioning from industries, look at the industry you want to transition into, see what you, you know, software and hardware they're using. Um, if it's in Siemens, you know, 
like like in food and beverage, you were saying process batches, right? How to control those? Are we doing more function charts and function blocks? Uh, maybe we can use structured text a little bit better. Um, so that's where I go back. If you want to be a good automation controls person, learn all of your languages and learn more than one platform. And that's gonna that's definitely gonna help you transition a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you uh, to a large extent. I think there's um, there's a lot of opportunity. Like I said, I, it's really strange to me that they're not looking at the positives, right? I think like every industry, um, again, like I want to reference a little bit to Sean Terrell, who comes primarily from oil and gas. They do things in a very different way, based again my my understanding and my discussions with him, than you know the way things we do in uh, food and bev and having kind of cross pollination, if you want, like someone who goes from that industry to let's say like food and bev it can bring a lot of like different ideas and just like at the bare minimum like thoughts on how we can like add some of the pluses to the way we do things in food and bev versus like the negatives of him having to ramp up to uh to understanding how things are done so there's for sure like pluses and minuses just like anything else um sure. but i think it's important to focus on on the pluses right and hopefully yeah. during the interview uh, if you're given a chance, obviously, to speak to someone, you can articulate that as the candidate, right? Like that not, right. it's not that I'm going to be a burden to your company because I'm going to have to learn all this, but I'm going to be a plus because like I've done like this, this, and this that can yep. hopefully be reapplied in this industry, right? Exactly. At my core, I am an automation and controls engineer. No matter if I'm doing it in oil and gas, monitoring tank levels, flow, or if I'm coming into a food process with, with recipes and we're blending to make a final product, right. I'm still trying to help you automate something. Yeah, And I exactly. have that base knowledge. Speaking of the different, uh, you mentioned the different PLC brands and platforms. Um, that's a very controversial to some extent topic as you see in our community. There's a lot of questions over the last few weeks. You've seen the LinkedIn you know, poll, I feel, every every other day asking which uh, platform do you prefer? They just put out yep. one of those. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious to kind of like, again, I'm not completely following, you know, the numbers of what you see in the field, but I feel that it's probably a lot more representative by, you know, the employers. And since you're seeing what kind of people uh, they're looking for, maybe you have a better estimate of, uh, you know, the current splits. Again, maybe the, the top, like, there's Alan Bradley, Siemens, uh, but then there's like Omron, Mitsubishi, there's some Opto 22, and then there's some MES platforms coming into play as well, right? So Ignition, Seposoft, um, Tatsoft, and a few others. So I'm curious, like, if you can maybe paint us a picture of the landscape and how you see things like changing in the next couple of years, if you have maybe a thought yeah. on that as well. Yeah, obviously, you know, being in North America, Alan Bradley is is the king, um, is, is the market share. Um, so if you're going to be in automation or controls, learn Alan Bradley, Rockwell Suite, um, you know, do that. Start there. That's going to be your best, best bet. Um, next one, I would say is Seams. Um Okay, so Alan Bradley, you know, I've heard, I mean, I'm not an engineer. I don't sit down and program um, different uh, uh, softwares, but I don't know the ins and outs of what they do. I'm not sitting down programming these every day. Um, so I ask, you know, and I'm listening to to engineer tell me these things. Um, Alan Bradley is, is there, learn that. Um, but I've heard a lot, maybe sometimes there's support and pricing. Um, I've heard that is kind of, I don't know, more grumbles um, that I've observed. Um, so, you know, I, whenever you see that, that kind of makes you, makes it to where, Hey, these guys are King, they're dominant, but maybe there's some room for somebody else to make it in. Um, and I feel like Siemens is trying to do that along with some other people. Um, Siemens, I, I have seen is it's still clearly a number two, um, but they're gaining traction, especially in automotive, uh, very well used in food and beverage. Like I said, you know, the function charts, function blocks and recipes and batches. Uh, there's some really cool things you can do with that. So Siemens is starting to get more of a market share uh, over mm -hmm. here, obviously doing really well in other countries in Europe. Um, 
So they kind of play in their major sandbox over there and try to get some North America market share, whereas Alan Bradley can, you know, trying to do the, the exact opposite thing. Um, but the other ones that you said are kind of interesting too. Um, you know, I've seen some polls and, and of course, you know, you've got your Omrons, uh, Mitsus. Um, there's even some smaller ones that are made, you know, out there like Toyo Puck, Toyota uses their own. Um, those are always popular. But what I've seen um, back off, one I've seen gaining traction. Um, mm -hmm. What was the other one? I'm trying to think. Maybe Automation Direct. Automation, Automation Direct is, is there. Um, I've always heard of them in colleges, uh, training a lot of people. Have, they're very similar to Alan Bradley. So a lot of people are cutting their teeth on Automation Directs. Um, but Beckoff, uh, BNR, BNR is gaining some popularity coming over here. Mm -hmm. um, Lupe up in um, up in the Northwest has a lot of BNR people. They've they've leveraged that really well. Uh, but I do see it it gaining uh, here as well. There's some new technologies out there. Um, we'll see as they come apart. They've got a lot to work with coming up against Alan Bradley and Siemens, obviously with the the big boys. Um, so how much market share are they trying to cut in and how much competition do they have for that market share? That'll be interesting to see how it goes. But some of these smaller companies that uh, engineers are getting to play with, they're, they're liking it. Um, they're liking some different techniques, different features that they have. So um, it'll be interesting to see what are, happens in the future. Based on that, I guess like I'm curious, um, let me formulate like a, concise question so if you're looking to enter automation right and you're again I, I would place myself in my own shoes right as an electrical engineer i had zero exposure to uh, plcs through my university right um if i'm looking to land a job and perhaps it is on alan bradley sorry did you hear any of that you're just getting ready to say. Okay. So no, just getting ready to the question. Right Sorry. Let me start over. I guess I'm going to have to keep it short. Said that okay. you get a <laughs> As an electrical engineer, I had zero exposure to PLCs in college, right? Yeah. If I'm looking to get into automation, perhaps on the Allen Bradley platform, and I really cannot afford, you know, the hardware and the software, like what are your thoughts on learning on like a different platform as demonstrating my capabilities and then going to interviews, you know, talking to somebody like you to land an entry-level job as an automation engineer. Like, what are your thoughts on like these different platforms and just cross, um, cross transferability of skills? Yeah. So the skills transfer, I would see it's more in the languages that we're teaching, um, whether it's in ladder, ladder logic, uh, function blocks, charts, uh, structured text, um, you know, seeing those are more transferable. When, when we talk to, a, you know, a pure programmer or coder, whatever terminology you want to use, it doesn't matter what brand it is. It's all ones and zeros when you get down to it. Um, and I'm going to understand it. I'm going to play around with it. This might be new. This function might be unfamiliar, but I'm going to get it. Um, so... You know, Automation Direct, uh, again, they've been a lot uh, more affordable and been using college courses. And I've heard a lot of people say it's very similar. Um, so with Alan Bradley being the dominant one, you know, if you can get Automation Direct um, and start working with stuff like that, that's cheaper, great. Um, and even to a further point, if you can't get your hands on the hardware, you know, if you're an EE and or anything and learning PLCs uh, without the hardware, uh, such as yourself, Vlad, uh, when I got to know you, you had several courses through Udemy. Um, there's, there's other platforms out there, uh, people that offer those kinds of trainings that are very robust and affordable. Um, that's a great way. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so if you can't, you know, you're an EE. Uh, your college classes and offering it, you can't get in, you know, to, to learn these kinds of things, network with your local system integrator, see if you can get in there, you know, on an intern, get in there after hours, get to know people. And if you can't get those kinds of opportunities, 
uh, go go online, YouTube, uh, Solus PLC. Uh, I don't know if you did you go. Are you doing the? Um, is that still through Udemy or through Solus? Uh, mostly through Solus, but I guess like it, it's always been a question on my mind. You know which platform to use, and one of my like goals for this year is to figure out a more how to say it accessible way to help people because i think at the end of the day you still want to buy a piece of hardware to like yeah. maybe have something tangible to like touch yeah. um you can certainly learn a lot from emulators but i i just feel like plc specifically like if you haven't like actually put in like an input you, you're just missing maybe the experience yeah. and um i'm exploring a couple of different options you know i'm looking at siemens like automation direct top 22 just like platforms that are a little bit easier to digest in terms of cost. Um, but at the same time, you know, like my concerns are if people are learning on those platforms, how are they seen by recruiters once, um, you know, those people hit the market, right? If I put, because like, I'm, I'm not going to tell a recruiter that I know Alan Bradley when I've clearly only studied on, let's say, we have a comment on Codasys, for example, on like a Raspberry Pi, right? So yeah. I'm going to be honest, like, listen, I've learned PLC programming. I've learned ladder logic. I've explored these different functionalities through Codasys. And here are some of my projects. Um, and it's just because I couldn't afford the hardware and the software. And so I'm a little bit concerned, like how the employers might perceive that, you know, is there going to be a greater barrier? And of, of course there will be, right? But at the same time, I Yeah, just, I would much rather prefer you having your hands on that hardware before I hire you. But that's a perfect world. We don't live in a perfect world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the scenario you just you just described is exactly what you would want to tell an employer on an interview. You know, of, of all, hey, here's my projects. Here's what I've done. Here's what I have done. Um, I know that there's an obstacle as far as getting my hands on hardware due to cost availability. But here's what I have done to try and make up for that. Um, showing those efforts go a long way, especially with a hiring manager. Yeah. I agree. But we had another comment. Another good, you bring up another good point with with be the 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 adaptability, the use of learning a platform, uh, Siemens, uh, Alan Bradley, Automation Direct, whoever. With the future, when we don't have these uh, four year and two year degrees, uh, you know, we need to make these platforms easier to learn, adapt, so we can have people programming uh, quicker. If that makes sense. We have a we have a comment. I guess one of the big brands we forgot is Schneider. So Schneider, I have actually seen a lot of their PLCs across different facilities, even in the U.S. I wouldn't say that they're the dominant, but I'm sure like top five for sure. Like Schneider yeah. has and really good drives as well, right? It's not just a yes. PLC suite, but I, I've seen right. um, both. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. I mean, like it's a, it, it's just, it, it's a challenge, right? Like it's uh, between like learning a platform. I think we all somewhat understand that a competent engineer or technician what uh, what have you should be able to transfer those skills but at the same time there is a certain learning curve you know to get familiar with the platform um, and that maybe is a good transition to our next kind of segment that i wanted to talk about as well so i'm yet Dave, let's hold up for a sec, Vlad. We, we've had a ton of absolutely fantastic uh, uh, mentions here in the chat that, that I feel like we, we need to get on here. Uh, so okay. Sandro, everyone's favorite project or product manager over at Festo, uh, said it's our job to make automation and manufacturing cool and interesting so the younger generations are interested and we don't have to struggle years from now to find talent. Uh, we don't have to fake it. Automation is cool and exciting. All of us engineers have gotten excited watching an LED light up for the first time. And that actually reminded me, I, I remember growing up playing with breadboards, playing with, uh, with, you know, all those little wires. My little cousin, when she was four or five a few years ago, my parents bought her a kit. And these things are like, they've got plugs on the end and you can plug these things in. Her launching the, the spinning fan blade up in the air like 20 times in a row is probably my favorite video anyone uh, anyone has ever sent me. She was like screaming with joy, right? Like, and that to Sandra's point is uh, is the important part of uh, of what we're doing here. And then we had a really good conversation in the comments with Muhammad and uh, Gabriel talking about remote work, remote commissioning um, outside of a variety of uh, 
different countries. I think that's a fantastic conversation. We may need to save that till the end. Vlad, I don't know if you were on the manufacturing happy hour, happy hour that we had in the beginning of the pandemic when we talked about like remote FATs. What were you, were you part of that? I might have been. Uh, I recall something like that happening. Yes. So, so I, it was interesting. There are a bunch of different uh, technologies that we've seen people use. And I think that might be a good topic of conversation uh, to bring up for uh, for another episode. Um, what was the consensus really quickly? I, I, I honestly The, the, the consensus what... was we kind of need to go that way, but technology doesn't necessarily exist. Um, but there are like real wear goggles. There, there are now like uh, a bunch of other software and other different opportunities that you can do. But at the end of the day, generally, someone always always needs to be on site to make sure that the stuff is set up and to do kind of live troubleshooting. This is a hopefully reduce the number of people who have to be um, who, who have to be on site as uh, as part of that. Yeah. We have a comment slash really short question on uh, from YouTube. Uh, the person says, hey, guys, great show. I just got a job with Rockwell Automation as an automation controls technician. Do you guys think I should invest in CompTIA Plus, Network Plus, Security Plus uh, certifications? What are, you, what are your thoughts, Jordan, on uh, on those avenues? Say what, 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 what certifications? So it's it's uh, CompTIA Plus, Network Plus, Security Plus. But I guess like just to generalize like different, um, I think these are like cybersecurity network yep. Um, type of um, uh, certifications. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you look at those as a, as a recruiter for when you're looking at people? Um, definitely. When we start to get into to, to the networking and communication protocol, cybersecurity. Uh, well, what about for controls automation personnel? Like, is that something that adds value? I haven't seen it yet. Um. But it's 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 not it's nothing that will hurt you. Um, mm -hmm. But it won't be, you know. It could be something where you're you're, you know, because you've got to focus, and they they've got a job for you to do, right? And they want to make sure you can do that. Um, so if they have some background stuff that's going on, some issues, or they've been thinking about hiring someone, you come in and do that for them as an added bonus. Um, but yeah, I just haven't seen it in a controls and automation perspective be really beneficial. But I, and no means am I saying don't get them. They're just not a conversation mover in those in those particular uh, positions as of now. Gotcha. Dave, any other things you wanted to plug in before I bombard Jordan with a, another series? You know, once we start, it's like... No, no. So, 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 so we're, we're going, we're going. So I would say um, specifically like on all the networking certifications, if you can get the company to pay for them, it's not bad to have in the back pocket. There is yes. a whole new burgeoning kind of realm in automation of like the OT network engineer. And they want people who understand networking, but also understand automation because the IT side, the carpeted side, if you will, is very different from the uncarpeted side, the OT plant floor side. And so because that, you know, we are certainly seeing, you know, some benefit to that. And it's certainly if that's something that you're interested in getting into, um, then, and you can, and especially if you can get your employer to pay for them, you know, part of that continuing education, if you can show something substantial, um, th that is, th that's never a bad thing if it interests you. Right. Yeah. Down the line, if you want to verge into OT, um, and networking, it's going to play great. And like Dave said, if, if, if you can get your employer to pay for it, awesome. Um, and that kind of goes off into, you know, you were asking earlier, any certain sectors. And one sector I've seen blowing up is the OT ICS world and automation. Um, and that kind of gives us, you know, the two, the two people that we're looking for, either an automation engineer that knows some cybersecurity and can kind of do that and dabbles in it versus we need somebody that's OT uh, and IT specific. Um, but we do need building like the awesome. suspense. Sandra said we should call it building the suspense. So we're building <laughs> the suspense as to what you need. 
I have a feeling tuned. everybody like checks their own connection, you know, once this happens. I, I did. If, if I was like a, a viewer, then I'd be like, oh my God, is my internet down? So, so yep, Sam had mentioned in, okay, Sam had mentioned in the comments that uh, we weren't saying anything. So Jordan, please continue with your, uh, your, your life altering thoughts. Basically, I agree with you, Dave, as scary as that is. Um, mm. Yeah, if, if you want to get those, go for them. If you can get your employer to pay for them, awesome. And if you want to get into more of the networking side and cybersecurity, it's going to pay your dividends down the road. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm curious how, um, you know, that side of the, I, I think there's very few discussions about the specific of uh, specifics of cybersecurity. I think everybody kind of, Want something, and I I remember now that Dave had launched a uh, a question on this, right? And again, from my experience, I've seen a lot of conversations about it at the like executive slash upper management level, but when it comes to the plant floor, I think there's just a lot of things that are um, like I don't want to say like natively difficult, but don't play nicely with you know, how you would want it to be implemented, so to speak, right? There's a lot of, um, how to say it, like necessary corner cutting, so to speak, to get the automation systems running that do not comply maybe with the cybersecurity practices that you've got today. And I, and I think like those are very complicated conversations if people don't have like a very good understanding of the factory floor. Yeah, like so, one for one instance, patching. Right. If you do patching on the IT, it's much different than the o down on the plant floor. Yep. Right. You know, that's that's I mean, one of the things. And, and that's what is happening with the, the IT OT convergence and convergence is, is a good word, but more of uh, ball, bar room brawl sometimes, uh, you know, not playing nice. Uh, Absolutely. It's it's interesting. And it's really that that in the last year is, is the conversations have ramped up. Uh, you're seeing the cybersecurity attacks on different companies. Yep. Uh, you know, I had a post, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and it's just, it's like building this new museum, millions of dollars, state-of-the-art technology, putting priceless artifacts in there, and then not putting doors or windows or hiring security guards and, and never closing it. And then just going home at nine at night and thinking, eh, we're okay. Ah. <laughs> and unfortunately, it doesn't work out like I feel you'd be safer not having doors than not having cybersecurity in place personally, but <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just like your house, you know, you buy a new house and you put all your contents in it. I mean, you're going to lock your door. You're going to close your windows. You might even invest in a security system. You want to be protected. And you know, if, if not, you're going to pay the consequences and it's a little steeper with your home being robbed than your corporation, your manufacturing center. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think uh, we're close to the hour. Dave, do you have any like final questions? Cause I think we, we still want to try and respect, you know, everybody's time. There's, there's a lot of things like I still want to explore and talent, but I think if I start asking questions we can go for another like 20 30 minutes easily we can we'll go for four more hours don't don't oh, yeah. uh, don't don't flip but don't fit vlad um but no no so we've got three we we have around three more of these talent sessions coming up um there were lots of comments very excited about them thank you jordan for coming on and, and being our first guinea pig so we'll continue to have more conversations around this but jordan on, on your side um, if people are looking to find new jobs in automation, you know, what is your ideal client? You know, who do you help on both the talent side if talent is looking for folks, but also on the corporate side, if they are looking to hire folks into automation? What type of clients am I looking for? Is that your question? What, what type of client? What, who is your ideal client? Who should reach out for help on either side? Yeah. So somebody that knows about automation. You know, when we're talking about industrial automation, they, they know a little bit. They're not just saying, oh, well, we need this automation stuff and here's your job description, right? I need to know what you know about automation and how critical it is to your operations and how hard it is to find, how hard it can be to find talent. Um, so I'm looking for a client that is prepared, right? You know what this position entails, the importance of it, the scarcity of talent, 
Um, and, and here's how we're going to go about it. If you're going to use me, we, we've got a process um, that works. So I want you to be buttoned up and ready. Um, that means have your job description ready, have your um, time blocks ready to interview, whether it be a phone, whether it be an in-person, a Teams meeting, Zoom meeting, um, have all of your decision makers that are going to make the decision on it be available. Um, try to have them all in one conversation. Um, you know, if you got four people you're going to talk to, don't have four individual meetings. Um, we're going to try and button up your, your interview process as fast as possible. Let's make it efficient. Uh, let's have a phone call. You like it from there. Let's move into a phone or a, on on site with the decision makers. Uh, and after that, let's make a decision. Here's, here's what we know um, we're going to have to pay. We're going to have a discussion about that, you know? So when it comes time to pay somebody a hundred thousand, I don't want a client that's going to, Oh, okay. Well, I think they can take this at 85. Well, no, they're not because they've got four or five other offers and the lowest one is at 95. Um, so I want, I'm going to go through all that with the client, right? Um, and if they, if they know what they're getting into and they let me help them, they're going to end up with a, a speedy, efficient process that gets them the talent that they need to move their operation forward. Um, so, so when I talk to clients and they um, are not ready, it's a jumbled process. It takes a long time to get feedback. You know, those are not the companies that I want to work for because those are the companies the candidates aren't impressed by. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to see your job process. The best companies do a phone interview and then move to a final interview, whether that's teams, whether that's on site, I'm going to fly you in or you're going to drive over here. You're going to meet with us, spend a few hours. Great. And by tomorrow, we're, we're going to have an, a decision whether we're going to offer you or not. And if we are going to offer you, we're not going to beat around the bush. We know what it takes. Here's what, here's what it is. I so like it. Of, I'm you looking know, for it. I wish that's how my processes went when I was ah. interviewing. So. Yes. And that's always where the work comes in, right? That's, that's where you've got to work with your client and develop them, um, work with them as much as they might be working with you. Um, you know, maybe they don't know the best process or the best way to attract this kind of talent. Uh, whereas I do, I do this all day long. Um, and if you let me help you and guide you there, I can get you there. Um, but the, the hard part right now and getting talent is getting your name and your company out there, um, to know anything about you. Um, I can bring that, uh, to, to different talent where your marketing isn't going. Um, so when I go out there and I find these passive candidates who are ready to move on, uh, know that what I'm doing and let's, let's be buttoned up, let's be prepared and let's move. But that's always the hard part. <laughs> right. Can be. No, Jordan, beautiful. where can, uh, candidates perhaps, um, you know, find some of the postings or the jobs you're currently working on so that they could reach out if there's a, if there's a match. Yeah. Currently I do everything through LinkedIn. Um, okay. so search me Jordan Humphreys. Um, on, on LinkedIn, connect with me, follow me. Um, I'm one of the more open people, you know, I'll, if you're in automation controls, I'll connect with you. Let's talk. You know, if I can't, if I can't represent you for whatever reason, you know, there's some, some people I can't represent. Um, there's, you know, when, when, when clients hire me, they pay me, uh, I'm, I'm not cheap. Um, they pay me a lot of money for people that they don't have access to. So if you're still like on the lower side of technician, just getting started out, um, sometimes I can't work with you because clients are not going to pay me a fee for somebody that's beginning. They're going to look more to, I don't want to spend, you know, um, a recruiter fee on that kind of talent yet. Um, right. So, so yeah, it's for whatever reason, if I can't help you out directly, I want to help you out indirectly. Um, whether that's, hey, you need to connect with this person or, hey, you need to talk to this person over here. Um, they've been able to help you out, give you some um, give you some resources to help further out your career, whether that's Solus PLC, you know, hey, I've always been wanting to learn PLC and Alan Brett. Hey, I've got the resources for you, several of them, right? People that I know um, just trying to help you out. So connect with me, start a conversation. There's people I've had a conversation with that I haven't been able to help uh, for a couple of years, 
due to different circumstances. Uh, I try to be valuable in that way. You know, I'm not going to just say, oh, here's Vlad, here's his resume. I'm not going to be able to help him. I'm never talking to him again. No, I, I want to be able to be there and help you not only place you in a new job, but be there as a resource, uh, not only for you, but for the community as a whole. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think there's, I guess I know very few people who are willing to go like above and beyond to that extent, right? And I think that's very appreciated by the candidates and ultimately allows you to make those matches. If not, you know, today, then down the road. Yeah. But, um, well, I mean, you know, you know and that, going back to the original part, when I started this, I wanted it to be different. And I wanted to have a community and uh, promote the community and make it tighter, make it better. Uh, I think it's a perfect time to do it in automation um, and, and to push, to push this community forward. You know, mm -hmm. it's bigger than me. How can I help uh, the automation community as a whole? So I got to try and give back and, and, and that, and that, that's, that's part of my mission as well. I do want to mention, we'll have the links in case you're like watching this or listening um, and you don't know how to spell Jordan's name in full. We'll have links like in the description or, um, you know, in the footnotes for the, for the episode. So you can find them uh, there as well. Cool. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything else or shall I, uh, shall I wrap up Vlad? Do it, Dave. Okay, let's do it. So we're going to make sure to tell everyone listening all of the things that we tell the folks watching live at the beginning. So if you are watching, please remember to hit that like, comment, and subscribe buttons on LinkedIn, YouTube, and all your normal podcast platforms. As a semi-professional or podcaster, I am supposed to ask people to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment as to how long you think it takes Jordan to blow dry his hair. Um, because that apparently changes some algorithmic stuff and we might get some more listens. Um, but beyond that, um, if you guys are on LinkedIn, please like and follow Manufacturing Hub with Dave and Vlad, which is where all the events come out. Um, and then we are online at manufacturinghub.live. Um, until next time, we will see you guys just about every Wednesday at six o'clock East Coast time. Thank you again, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you again, guys for having me on and, and all of the people that participated. If you got any questions, hit me up. Absolutely. Thank you guys Thank very you. much. Until next week, we will see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.